Hello, everyone. This is Ricky Baez, co-host of the HR Talk podcast. And guess what? That's right. We are bringing you another episode of Friday Chats. You know, this show has been out there to the world for everyone to hear and consume and whatever else you want to do with it for about three years now, three years. And in that time, we've talked about a wide array of topics uh, like just HR in general, leadership consulting, uh, compensation, employer relations, FMLA, unions, uh, payroll, you name it, we've talked about it. But there's this one part of human resources, or just being a leader for that matter, that we don't talk about enough. I mean, we've mentioned it a few times, but I think it deserves a lot more airplay. And it's more prevalent now during a pandemic than before. Now, even before the pandemic, you know, it's that issue was still there. But I, I think now with everything happening with how how our lives were completely turned upside down last year and we started to get used to that whole upside down life, working from home, our kids being at home, our parents being at home, not being able to go out. It, it, it's now that we're starting for the few people who are starting to get used to it. Now organizations are shifting that. And they're shifting it in a way that some organizations are now bringing people back to work. And some people could get used to it, but others, that really is a hard thing to do, especially when you're not used to change. And of course, I'm talking about mental health, mental awareness, and that affects people. It's big changes like that, being worried about the economy, being worried about your health, your loved one's health and safety. It's something that affects somebody um, emotionally and mentally. So that's why I wanted to talk to Paige Zuckerman. She is the executive director and clinical director of a company called Red Willow Counseling and Recovery. So we talked about the importance of mental health awareness in the workplace and what leaders need to do or what kind of an environment a leader needs to foster so associates can truly thrive in their organization, in their workplace, regardless of what's happening at home, and provide resources for the associates to to use to proactively address an issue before it becomes an issue. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Paige Zuckerman. Check it out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today on Friday Chats, we have an amazing individual. And this amazing individual is the co-executive director, clinical director of Red Willow Counseling and Recovery, Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Paige Zuckerman. Paige, how are you today? I'm doing all right, all things considered. All things considered. Why all things yes. considered? <laughs> well, I think I think nowadays when we say all things considered, most of us can comprehend kind of what that means, which is all the stuff that's going on in the world. You know what? And it just keeps getting weirder and stranger. And you know what, Paige? It's, it's really getting to a point. It's getting to a point where I am now looking to cancel my HBO, looking to cancel my Netflix, because reality is just as entertaining, if not more entertaining than anything you see on those channels. Have you have you felt the same? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is honestly one of the most overlayered dystopian plots I've ever seen. <laughs> I w- actually would. I wouldn't watch this show. At the- <laughs> because it's not entertaining or because it gives you nightmares? Because it's, it's too much stuff going on all at once. I'd be like, are you guys kidding me? Pick a lane. 
oh yeah, welcome to the Marvel Universe. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, it's, it's a, you're saying that Joss Whedon wrote 2020 and 2021. Uh, no. <laughs> Are we going to go that route? Are we going to, because we can go that route. No, no, look, look, I am a huge uh, Zack Snyder fan, right? I am. And I know the whole. So we got beef then. Uh, Oh, you don't. So wait a minute. Oh, okay. You know what? This is an HR show. To be honest, I'm not a, I'm not a supporter of the, the weed and cut. So I'll just put that out there Okay. Thank you. All right. So now we can continue with the interview. Perfect. No, because look, I saw, I saw the, the original Justice League, right? The Joss Whedon one. And. It was good, right? Um, it's it's. I didn't know. Okay, so this is gonna sound weird. I didn't know how not good it was until the Snyder Cut came out. Yeah, I think that was the case for most folks. Yeah, and then the Snyder Cut came out. I'm like, wow, this is what that movie was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's a it's a Zack Snyder has a has a, a a a specific niche of fans. But man, I gotta tell you, that last movie was phenomenal. Right? It, it's. I'm assuming you liked it too. I did. Yeah. And I, I have an extra appreciation for it, considering, you know, being mindful of what was happening for Snyder during that time and why the whole True. thing happened the way that it did. You know, speaking of the importance of mental health awareness. So great transition, right? Because, you know, it, it's a I was talking to to my wife about that because she didn't know what happened. She didn't know why he had to uh, to uh, to step away. And I told her, I'm like, sweetheart, his, his daughter committed suicide. And she's like, no, yeah, yeah, she did. She did. She committed suicide. So obviously it's, I I don't know how anybody could continue on living a normal life after something like that happens in their family, let alone continue finishing a project for HBO. So I told her that, and I don't know if it was because I told her that, that she found the movie more emotional than, than, than not. Right. Cause there was some parts that she was crying. I'm like, really? In this part right here? You're going to cry, which I get it. I get it. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, there's a lot of father, uh, uh, father-child father stuff happening in the movie, and it kind of touches people. So um, I'm not going to dwell too much on the movie. This is uh, a Friday Chats for HR. Paige, thank you for taking me down that that lane. I'm, I'm going to blame you for that. Uh, no, but here's, here's what we are talking about. So you are the co-executive director and clinical director of Red Willow Counseling and Recovery. What what is that organization and what do you do specifically for that that organization? Yeah, so we are a mental health outpatient practice in Utah. So we have three different locations in yeah, throughout the state of Utah with our flagship in Salt Lake City, which is the city most people know about because of the 2002 Olympics. Mm. And uh, we provide community mental health and uh, intensive outpatient treatment programs um, for an array of mental health issues, but also for addiction recovery. So um, a lot of the kind of common things that we're seeing out in the world in general, but uh, we service a lot of those different issues, you know, depression, anxiety, life transitions, as well as some specialty populations like LGBTQ. Wow. And, and, and how long have you been doing that? I have been with Red Willow Counseling and Recovery for uh, almost exactly seven years as of next month. Um, and then the actual agency itself started about eight years ago. But you, as 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 the employee, you as the person, um, it's you've been doing this for a lot longer than that, though, right? Uh, well, I've been in mental health for 15 years. All right. And 
and and and that's what I want to focus on because I I am if you've heard the show or, or anybody that's that's heard the show I am just as fascinated about what somebody does for a living as I am about what happened in their life that said this is what I want to do so what what happened in your life that you said this is the career that I want to pursue yeah you know, I think a lot of mental health professionals, if we're being really transparent, will admit that there's kind of two reasons why we become therapists. Uh, the first one being that we've been through some of our own shit. Mm-hmm. And the other one being that we probably have developed in our lifetime a bit of a tendency to be the caretakers. Um, I think that that's a role that's common for people. Um, it's something that can be a default. Sometimes it's something we learn in our family system. Sometimes it's something we learn as a survival mechanism or in our cultural systems. Um, but that was certainly the case for me as I kind of developed this like problem solver, caretaker, good in a crisis type of personality. And uh, it just kind of, I think one of the healthiest ways we can identify that that role for ourselves is to see that it's there and to decide maybe to channel it in slightly healthier places than maybe everywhere in our lives. Uh, So I decided to channel it into my professional identity and try not to do it in other places necessarily. Now, is that what you wanted to do? Like, uh, so, so when, when you was in high school or college, um, is this the career path you wanted to take or did you have a different one? Yeah, you know, I was one of those weird undergrads uh, who started their first day of their freshman year of college as a psychology major and finished a master's degree in psychology eight years later. (laughs) So I did not wash out from my major, which is really weird and probably might have been seen as foolish at certain points, but I stuck with it. So you are one of those few because uh, it's uh, like I can only think about me when I started at college. I started with something completely different. Believe it or not, um, I am in HR right now. But when I when when I got out of the service and I said, you know what, I'm going to just use my GI Bill. I started with theology, believe it or not. Uh And I'm like, oh. I'll look into that. And then I'm like, ah, I didn't like it. Let me go into mechanical engineering mechanical engineering because I love cars. I love how a combustible engine works and I wanted to kind of work in that field. Um, and then I'm like, ah, that didn't work. Then I went to IT. Ah, didn't work. But at, at that time I was working for an organization called Hewitt Associates and uh, they were huge. They were back then a huge HR outsourcing firm, firm. And that's when I got the bug. That's when I cut the bug in HR and I'm like, ah, business, human resources, and that's what got me there. So, um, yes, you are one of those few folks that you actually planned out to a, spe- a specific career. You go through it, and you actually finish through. So, bravo to you. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So, yeah, well, yeah, whether or not that was healthy, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, as long as you enjoy what did what you do and by enjoy i mean i I really do you see there you go i mean it's uh yeah you're gonna have some ups and downs with it you are um it's i've always said that show me somebody who is happy at work 100 percent of the time and i'll show you somebody who will fail it's uh, a drug test uh (laughs) because because not not everybody is that happy all the time but i get it well it's the reason i found your profile really interesting is because um you you deal with a lot of people's anxiety you deal with a lot of people's and it, it forgive me if i'm not if i'm not saying this right but you deal with a lot of people's 
inner issues that they cannot deal with themselves. So I couldn't help to think how how relevant that is to the HR world, especially right now, even even if this pandemic was not happening. Um, it's there's a lot of people who spend most of their time, most of their awake hours at the office, most of their awake hours at work. And depending what's going on in their life outside of work, that affects how happy or unhappy they are in the office. And if they work in an environment that doesn't foster a a hassle-free or discrimination-free work environment, that affects them when they get home. So I guess my question to you is, have you ever dealt with issues with not necessarily people and their issues, but people with issues at work? Have, have you dealt with that at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, part of my role as the clinical director is essentially the, the support of my entire team, including my administrative staff, which is at this point, 26 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, contrary to popular belief, therapists are humans too. We have emotions, we have lives, we have issues of our own. And, you know, we are, we we say about ourselves that we are a trauma-informed agency, but we don't just mean that for our clientele and for the community. I mean it for our staff too. Our staff experience the ordeals of life. And certainly this past year has been a testament to that on a whole different level. So the mental health of of our therapists and our our administrative staff is a constant awareness for us Mm -hmm. and is an issue that that crops up and that we need to be present for on a regular basis. So you just dove into a pool that I wanted to really dive into later on, but I'm bringing it in right now. Uh, All right. Because... I hear you, right? You guys are human beings as well. You've got the same issues that everybody else has, but who do you go to, <laughs> right? What if, what if, um, because look, it's, it's, for some people, it's difficult enough just getting through life. And then you add what you do for a living and you hear other people's um, uh, trials and issues with going through life. And I'm sure that affects uh, people in your profession more than the actual people who are going through it. So it's what coping mechanisms do somebody in your position, what can they employ to help them through the process? Yeah, well, you know, vicarious trauma is a very real thing and therapists experience that. They also experience just um, compassion fatigue and burnout in general. I'm, you know, I'm a supervisor to a lot of uh, trainee therapists and interns who are coming up in the field and, that's one of the first mechanisms of support is a supervisor. And, mm-hmm. and supervisors of therapists are also therapists who have veteran experience, who kind of understand the mechanisms of being a person who hears what people are going through hour by hour, day by day, and how to hold that in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So I think like really conscious and, and thoughtful supervision is one of the coping strategies that therapists have. I think also just therapists need therapists. Mm -hmm. I I don't know of many therapists that aren't also seeing a therapist themselves. So we are generally pretty good at practicing what we preach when it comes to self-care. It's hard to do that though, right? It's, um, I would think that it would be hard to, well, I mean, because the reason you wouldn't need your own therapist is because you need somebody from the outside to give you a perspective from the outside. Right, uh, somebody to give you a different point of view that has the same skill set as you do to kind of help you with the tools that you already have. 
and 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 to cope with those. But you mentioned something really interesting. You said compassion fatigue. What is that? Compassion fatigue is a psychological phenomenon that happens to staff or individuals in a therapeutic or helping relationship role. Mm-hmm. And and actually, this can happen out in the world in general, too. So, for instance, like HR professionals and leaders and businesses can develop compassion fatigue as well. It's the phenomenon of becoming so burned out from all of the needs, expectations and requirements of your personnel that you develop uh, like a callousness, essentially. You start to um, struggle to be able to access compassion Another word for this in the medical field is sometimes uh, gallows humor. Gallows uh, this is a humor? Very com- yeah, gallows humor is a really common thing in like hospitals, for instance, where, you know, somebody's like, for, you know, they, they're spending every day in the ER like, intubating people, COVID patients over the past year. They may go back in the back room with the, the other nurses or whatever, and they may make like what seem like kind of inappropriate jokes oh. or kind of crass comments, right? We all kind of know that providers do that it's a psychological defense mechanism to help with, you know, prevention of burnout and dealing with compassion fatigue. It's the struggle in that very fine line where the work with other humans can actually start to cause us to kind of dehumanize other people because we're so exhausted. So do you know who's an expert at gallows humor? The Marine Corps page, because I believe you. (laughs) Yes. Let me tell you, I have learned such let me be careful how i say this <laughs> i have learned such a wide array of dark humor because of what we were dealing with and you know all jokes aside it, it's that's why morticians police yep. officers people who deal with a lot of negative aspects of life in general they have to have that weird dark sense of humor and i i didn't get it at first until i got out of the service and I'm like, oh, that wasn't funny, guys. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I told that joke to, to the wrong crew. Um, because, yeah, it's it just with so much trauma, I guess I could use that word, so much issues that you deal with every day, you would have to develop. I just didn't know that there was a name for it. I thought it was just dark humor. Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely true that, that individuals in those professions, uh, first responders, medical professionals, military, yeah. are the helpers of the world. And the helpers of the world get hurt along the way. You know, and and that's that's the way life is for them even before 2020 hit. And then you add the pandemic, you add what's happening in the world today. Actually, we're over a year since the pandemic started. And now it, there's some things that people see. So I'm going to talk about work specifically as far as manager and employee. So, you know, it, it's this time a year and a half ago, life was normal. People had the regular issues. <laughs> People had the regular nine to five or whatever their nine to five is. Um, their student, their students, their kids, if they have any worse school, their parents, um, if 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 they're in an assisted facility, they were in that facility. And then a year and a half later, or you know what? Let me back up. Six months later, after that, um, the whole world got turned upside down. People are now working from home when they weren't used to. They now have also to be a teacher if they have kids because now they have to monitor the kids who are going to school from home and they now have to um, take care of their elderly parents. And not only that, they have to learn a whole new system of working from home and still perform 
And on top of that, you add maybe a manager who's not as sensitive, who's not as compassionate, and who's not as empathetic to understand what the employee is going through. And productivity drops, they're worried about being laid off, and then they they get put on a plan. It's, it's coming from your professional experience. How would you assist a business leader? How would you assist an HR manager in ensuring they create an environment to where that's not that big of an issue? You know, I, I'm a big fan of another, I think, great sort of leader in the public sphere named Simon Sinek. And he talks about the idea of the circle of safety mm. um, and the notion of what it means to be a leader who is willing to put themselves on the line along with their people. I think that more often not, than not, we think of leaders as being like the ones in the back telling everybody on the front line how to go into battle. And I think that actually a good leader stands on the front line along with everyone else. And I think that that's really critical to how we foster safety in agencies and, and environments with our teams is like creating a system of safety where the leaders are as vulnerable as their people and as responsible as their people. Mm-hmm. And I think that invulnerability is one of the mistakes that leaders can sometimes make is that like, I just need to be strong. I need to be sturdy. I need to be untouchable. I need to be compartmentalized I think the reality is like there is incredible strength in, in shared vulnerability and the universality that that can create. So I think like I say this to my trainee therapists, like first and foremost, be human with your people, Mm. be human with them. And if you're human with them, they'll trust you. And if they trust you, then when the whole world falls apart around you, they will know that you're going to have their back and that they won't have to, you know, it won't be a, a, a intellectual notion. It will be a felt one on every level. Uh, so we've been talking about that on the show for years about being a human being, focusing in the H in HR. It's folks, it's in your title, human resources, focus on the first part of your title and you should be okay. What, it, so I teach that to all my students as well and to all my clients. What I have found, though, is that human, the word human is a relative term. Really, it depends on how that person grew up. So maybe being human to one person means being compassionate, right? It means being, let, let's, let's be empathetic and help this associate go through whatever issues they're going through. And to somebody else, being human can mean suck it up. Rub some dirt on it, walk it off, right? <laughs> so even 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 in a late stage in the game, I find myself that I still have to teach people how to be the right kind of human that the organization needs at that point in time. Have you ever had that issue? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, and, and maybe sometimes it is because of compassion fatigue or burnout that that happens. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a constant concern. I think because we are on some level in a lot of different cultural or experiential spheres kind of taught to believe that the way that you protect is by toughness only. Right. I mean, I love that you mentioned rub dirt in it, right. That military phrase of like, Oh, you got like a gaping, bleeding wound. Just pick up a pile of sand and toss it in there. You're going to be fine. Here's some like, motion. And I, I think that it's like, well, yeah. And, uh, you, well, in a few hours you'll have septic shock, but it's fine. It's fine. We'll, <laughs> you'll we'll be okay. It a crisis. And I think that, you know, the notion of being informed as a leader is, and, and, you know, the humanity of that is to recognize like 
ask the questions and invite the opportunity to check in about like, how are we doing before it ever becomes a critical situation? I think that it's okay to over communicate about that to be like, Hey, how are you doing? Is there anything you need? How can I support you? Actually, Simon Sinek, he did, I don't know if it was a TED talk. I don't know if it was somewhere else he was, but he was talking about, um, that your, your star employee, that when your star employee is knocking the sales numbers out of the park quarter after quarter after quarter, and this employee gets so many accolades because they're just, they're just killing it in their field. And then one day after five or six successful quarters of them knocking that out of the park, the productivity just dropped. And the manager comes in and says, I can't believe you're doing this. You were employee of the year, employee of the quarter. What is going on? I'm going to put you in a performance improvement plan. And that's what most managers did. I mean, that, that, that's what he was saying. But then he says something that really got my attention. He said, what if you approach it differently? What if you, for that one instant, when you see that, that immediate drop in productivity, you, the last thing you talk about is about that productivity. And don't focus on productivity. Instead, focus on them. Hey, how you doing? Is everything okay? What's going on at home? And that resonated with me, Paige. And the mm-hmm. reason that resonated with me is that early, I, I learned that lesson early on in my career about 15 years ago where I was having a conversation with almost, almost a similar situation. And it wasn't until I started having the conversation with this one individual and I saw her eyes water and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. This is, there's something else happening here. And the conversation quickly went from, I can't believe your performance has dropped to, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to say her name. What's going on? What's happening here? So that hit me. Right. Uh, I don't know if you saw that same one, that same um, uh, TED yep. talk, or, uh, but he really is amazing. He, he does a really good job. But, you know, that that in itself um, is an issue for anybody, anybody that's at work or dealing with a lot of things. But now with everything happening today, a lot of organizations are bringing people back into the office. Uh, tensions are high. People are worried about what that's going to look like if they have to pick whether being safe, unemployed, or being exposed if they don't follow proper social distancing protocols and be employed. So, from a from a mental health perspective, talking to all the business leaders and HR leaders listening today, what do you say to them when they're welcoming or? I don't want to say welcoming, where they're kind of requiring associates to come back into the office and they have that worry. Yeah. You know, this is something we encounter as an agency. And um, I think in the end point, in retrospect, really, I feel really proud about how we handled this. And and I think the biggest thing that defined that was self-determination. I think that we have to foster the self-determination of our people. And that means their right, their welcome, their invitation to come together as a team and talk about how to co-create safety together. I mean, under every single reaction, whether it's fear, anxiety, anger, there is an unmet need and a deep emotion. And if we can give room, if we can give a platform for our people to talk about what are the fears, what are the needs, and come together as a community, as a tribe, then maybe we can actually come up with a safety plan as a community and a tribe that then meets the needs of as many people as possible. And I'm also a big believer, especially when it comes to something like the pandemic and kind of all this, the public health realities of that is 
The concerns of the most vulnerable parties in the room need to be the platform upon which you build everything else. That's Mm. the starting point. The people who feel the most unsafe need to be heard first. And then we go from there. And that becomes the sort of through line into which we inform all of our decisions. So here's what I'm hearing. Focus on the fear first. I mean, seriously, right? So Mm -hmm. if you address employees' fear, work on that and then work backwards, you you work on addressing whatever anxiety is bothering them at that moment to actually clear the path for some kind of a equilibrium, right? Mm-hmm. Between the safety. Okay, I get that. I get that. so so Paige, what about and I've seen this personally, what about those managers that are so focused, not everybody, just some that are so focused on numbers and productivity because that's 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 how they deal with things that they just flat out say, you know what, I'm not here to babysit you. I'm not, if you can't deal with working in this environment, then you, you need to find somewhere else to go. What do you say to those managers who always claim that, that this is not their job to, I guess, mentally babysit people? Because I've heard that term. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really unfortunate uh, term, yeah. mentally babysitting. It <laughs> it's a horrible uh, term. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, I, I have actually said this to someone before in this kind of situation. I said, your people are your product. Mm. In the end, they are the reason your business exists. They are the reason your agency exists. You alienate, alienate them. You alienate your business. You destroy your product. Like, you have mm. to see the humans behind your industry or your corporation as the core value of that industry. And I guess that's easy for me to espouse because my industry literally is human interaction. It is people. It is the nature of those interpersonal realities and how valuable and powerful they can be for healing. So I come from a lane where I can say, yeah, I get that. And I think every business needs to get that. They need to see their people as intrinsically inherently valuable and as the core of that value. And if you can't step up to supporting the human factor of your business, then you need to step back and examine yourself. Amen. (laughs) Seriously, amen to that. Um, That was a real conversation I had. This was not a client. This was in corporate America. Uh, That's about five, six years ago that I had a conversation with somebody, and that was exactly how I went. And he did tell me that he's not here to mentally babysit people. And that stopped the conversation. Right there, not not stopped it, but it stopped the where the conversation was going because now I had to address that because I'm like, wait, what do you mean mentally babysit? We we you you've got associates here who spend one th- at least one third of their day here with you, at least eight hours, at least. If they do overtime, you got tw- 10, 12 hours. Then they go home. And we don't know what's happening at home. We don't know if they're about to go through a divorce. They're about to lose their house. They have an illness that nobody knows about. And they demand their time, right? And then that's at least eight hours. <laughs> and what suffers? The other one-third of the day, sleep. And then they can't sleep because of all the issues they have at home, all the issues they, 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 they have at work. They go to work. They don't have a good day because they didn't get a proper uh, sleep. And then the cycle gets worse and worse and worse. Anyway, so when I was having that conversation with this associate, uh, with this manager, excuse me, 
Um, it went that way, and then I stopped it to kind of have a better understanding why he feels the way he does. And I found out that he needed some help. <laughs> Here's a, Always. <laughs> yeah, because he is pressured by his boss, and then he was going through a divorce. And this, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So I, I took that as a great opportunity. Let me explain to him in detail and show him an example on how he needs to communicate to his associates. What, how can I help you with home? How can I help you with this? You know, we have an EAP program, and he laughed at that so hard. And he's like, Ricky, I am not crazy. I'm like, okay, let me stop the conversation there. Let's have the conversation about the value of an employee assistance program. And that gave me the idea, Paige, to wait, let me do a focus group. Let me do a survey. How many people, how people see our EAP program? Because I'm not going to lie, 10, 10 years ago, I've had to use it. Right. And it was a huge help. And then uh, and, and I got to see from firsthand experience how helpful that is, what a great benefit that is that organizations uh, uh, put out for their employees. So anyway, uh, so I had to, it, long story short, because I keep making this longer. and I do apologize. <laughs> um, it, it's uh, I had to redirect and I found out that there were a lot, a lot of others, leaders who had that same thought process. So now I had to put a program together to kind of for, for the leaders to help them understand about the human side of talent management, the human side of, of what it means to be a leader. And exactly how you said, if you're not able to focus or harness that empathy, that human aspect, then take a step back. You said it better. You said take a step back and assess. I mean, take a step back and let somebody else in that position who can actually be empathetic, who can actually be a, a human being. So with that said, what is the one thing, Paige, the one thing that leaders need today, right now, right now, to help associates? Not, not associates that are going through something right now, but to help associates understand that they are working in an environment where it's, it's, uh, it's filled with empathy and trust. What is the one thing a manager can do to create that environment for the associates? You know, I, I like the phrase sitting in the fire. I think that we have to sit in the fire with our people, which means creating the circle, having the conversations, inviting feedback and dialogue and entrusting our associates and our staff in their wisdom, you know, to, to recognize that being a leader or a manager or a CEO, any of that, that means nothing in terms of you being smarter than your people. The, the collective has so much more wisdom than the individual. Mm. So being open to that collective perspective on what do we need? How do we need to do this? How do we operate? Creating not only safety as a system, but involving all parties of that system in the co-creation of safety. It's not a one person thing. You don't just create policies from the top down and say, we know what's right. And we're going to tell you what's right for you. Say, hey. What do you need? What is right for you? What fits your needs? What fits your life demands? How do you need work-life balance? What does safety mean for you? What are the ways that you are experiencing certain stressors that I can't understand or don't have access to? And how can I better serve your needs in managing those stressors? I mean, open-ended questions, the how, what, where, why, like that is, it's so simple. I think it's it's almost painstakingly frustratingly simple it's not easy but it's very simple being open 
to a collective perspective. Let me tell you, Paige, if more managers did that, seriously, if more managers did that, we would have a healthier workforce. We would have, and I, I don't want to open up a can of worms here, we would have less unions, right? Because uh, if people unionize, right, um, it's because they're not feeling heard, they're not feeling safe, all right, and they're not feeling respected. But if you, I'm going to say it exactly how you said it, being open to collective perspective, that's the key. That's what does it. So with that said, Paige, thank you very much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. This is a topic that I wish got more airtime. This is a topic that I wish um, they taught in college for HR people or even if you're in a leadership position, because this is it's I think this country would be in a much better would be in a better place if if people who are in a position of influence fully understood the mental aspect of leadership and to make sure that associates and employees, just anybody in an organization, um, they felt safe and they felt like they have somebody to talk to above and beyond or outside of the job description. So Paige, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, if they said, holy shit, I got to get a hold of it right now, how can they reach you? Uh, best thing to do is drop me an email and your email address. Can I give it out? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Your email address is I'm trying to find it. So maybe you can say it. <laughs> it is page Z at redwillowcounseling.com. Got it. All right. So, and then it's, uh, and then red, red, red willow counseling is www.redwillowcounseling.com. Um, that is a company site again, Paige, Thank you very much, folks. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. Good night. Well, folks, I told you that was going to be a good one. This is a topic that deserves a lot more than 30 minutes. So she is definitely going to be back. So big shout out to Paige Zuckerman. Thank you for your time. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good one, folks. Try safe. On behalf of Ricky Baez, the entire HR Talk podcast team and crew behind the scenes. Thank you very much for your time today. Drive safe. Have a good night.